Each spring, Pensacola Christian College hosts the Enrichment Retreat designed for pastors, ministry leaders, and church staff to enjoy a time of rest and to be refreshed by the Word of God. Today's message was from a past Enrichment Retreat keynote speaker. Visit enrichmentretreat.com for details or to learn more about the upcoming retreat. Look what it says in Proverbs 4.23. Let's read this aloud if we could please. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. It's a great word there. Issues has a translation in Hebrew that also means borders or perimeters. Out of the heart are formed the parameters of our life. Out of our heart, you know, and it goes hand in hand with what Brother Monty was talking about last night, how that as we think in our heart, it does affect our emotions, the seat of our being, our, our thinking process does affect our behavior, all of this, out of the heart. Uh, so as a man thinketh, so is he, is more than just a verse that we quote at every youth conference. It is so true, and it's true for every age in life that we may be. We're going to have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to ask you to be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray you will help us and bless us with your precious word. Where my words would fail, you promised your word would never return to you void. You promised to hasten to perform it. So, Lord, please help us now to have the liberty from the Holy Spirit to apply the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated now. We're dealing with the heart for the um, uh, um, three of the four times the Lord willing. Well, hopefully four of the four times that I might be speaking because this is so important. from the great famous book of wisdom comes this great statement. Keep your heart. Keep your heart. Out of it are the issues of life. Everything comes up out of the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What's in the well comes up in the bucket, right? Uh, so we've got to keep that in mind. So this morning I'm beginning with the heart of the matter on the heart of the shepherd. Some years ago, we were teaching through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and so we did a little test. Maybe some of you have seen it before. You know, you you go through this certain little test to see where your giftings are from the Holy Spirit. Every one of us are gifted by the Holy Spirit. Some are uh, 10 talented, some are 5 talented or gifted, and some are 1 talented. But nobody is bereft of even one. Matter of fact, I want to tell you this. Sometimes the 1 talented people are able to keep more on task because they know what that one thing is. Now, Paul would have been easily a 10 talented or 10 gifted person, but he himself said, this one thing I do, in other words, there's one basic gift that God has given me that's greater than any other gift that he's given me, and I've got a major on that. Uh, So uh, we were taking this uh, survey, and uh, let's find out where our giftings are. And actually, when I saw the results at first, it frightened me a little bit because the major populace of our church body said that their gifting was pastor-teacher. Whoa, wait a minute now. But, but then I got to thinking about that. We have some of the greatest. Uh, I remember the day it came many, many years ago when we divided my one auditorium class up into 14 adult classes and the church began to grow. Why? Because the people were given over to their gifting. So when we're dealing with a conference like this, here's what I'm understanding. Whether you are a pastor, 
whether you're an associate pastor, assistant pastor, youth pastor, or whether you have some other designation, most all of you will have a gifting of pastor. Now, the word pastor basically is synonymous with shepherd. So every one of us that are in the work of God are shepherds, okay? So whether it's to be at a college, you're shepherding the college. Whether it's be uh, to, to youth, you're the youth pastor. I'm thinking about Brother Kurt Copeland here, uh, who uh, many years um, uh, pastored, youth pastored, our present youth pastor. And for all the good that he's done, I, I praise the Lord, uh, first of all, for the Lord and, and Brother Kurt, and especially his wife, for the end. I thought I'd throw that in there, okay? For the input that he's put. So, so in other words, Brother Norris is a great pastor, but our youth pastor needed not only Brother Norris, but he needed Brother Copeland. How, how many agree to that, you know? Do, do, do not get jealous over other people in your church that have a similar gifting than you have because that we, we can't keep all the troops in line, so we need help, don't we? Matter of fact, behind every great whether it's a president of the United States or every great pastor, I've seen this one thing. They have surrounded themselves by people that are gifted, sometimes in ways beyond themselves. I think actually that's a good example that we see in the present president of the United States because by nature he's making some decisions that are not part of his history, right? And for this, we praise God. But the secret is he has people like Mike Pence and other people that he surrounded himself by. And so that's a benefit. When a man's a lone ranger, that's always a danger. You did hear about the Lone Ranger in Tonto. They were surrounded by Indians everywhere. And he looked at his great friend, uh, uh, Tonto, and said, Tonto, looks like just me and you against all of those Indians. And Tonto said, what you mean, me and you, white man? Amen. <laughs> so uh, you, need, you need all the help that you can get. Amen. <clears throat> David was the perfect example of the shepherd. Perfect example of the shepherd. You ever notice how that God raises up leaders that were shepherds? You ever notice that? Moses, Jacob, David, great shepherd. Matter of fact, when David got into sin, Spurgeon said this about illustrations. He said, illustrations are the windows through which we see the sermon. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see that David made the greatest error, mistake, sin of his life and that he coveted and lusted after Bathsheba and took her unto himself. In the 12th chapter of 2 Samuel, we see that God sent David a prophet by the name of Nathan. Do you remember the story that Nathan gave to David? It was a story of two men, one rich, one poor. One had all the sheep that he needed and then some one had only one ewe lamb. When he told David the story of the rich man who stole that one ewe lamb, you remember what happened? David appears to have interrupted Nathan in the middle of his illustration. He was angry, the Bible said, and declared that that man would die and he would pay back fourfold. By the way, this is another sermon in itself. Do you realize that David spoke his own judgment? He said he's going to have to pay back fourfold. That's exactly what David did. The first child of David and Bathsheba dies. Amnon, remember, raped his own half-sister. Absalom orchestrated his death, two. Absalom rebelled against his father, three. And then right after David died, Adonijah, his fourth son, killed. He said he'll pay back fourfold. Never forget, whatever man sows, that will they also reap. That's the word of God. It's another sermon in and of itself. But we see that that's how God got David's attention. 
David, you're a shepherd. David, you've never stopped having a shepherd's heart. Don't you realize that you breached your call in doing what you did? Let's talk about a shepherd. What is a shepherd's heart? Number one, a shepherd is one who has a willingness to work. If you have your Bibles, look at 1 Samuel 17. It is said of David in Acts chapter 13 and verse number 22, centuries after he lived, it said, I have found David a man after mine own heart which shall fulfill all my will. That's a great compliment. That is one of the greatest compliments that God has ever given a human being in this world at any time. He said, this is a man after mine own heart. Many, many years ago, I made that a goal that, Lord, help me to be a man after your own heart. So we see that David possessed the heart of God. And it's, and it's shown to us early on in his experience that we're told about. We see in the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel that he is anointed to be the future king. And in chapter 17, we begin to see the attributes of this future king, which bear very strongly the attributes of a shepherd. We see in chapter 17 of chapter 7, uh, chapter 17 in verse number 17, it says, And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah, this parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistine. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. Notice what David did. He didn't have the privilege to go into the battle with his brothers, so his father asked him to be his boy Friday, to be the errand runner, to be the delivery boy of the goods. David does not complain. He takes all of this food and refreshments. He gets up early in the morning, has somebody take care of the sheep, and he obeys his father. He gets up early in the morning to do it. Uh, you know, the Lord blessed me in my early ministry to be able to run with great old preachers of the 20th century. I do believe that I had the privilege of knowing and fellowshipping uh, some of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, some of the greatest preachers of all time. There were, there were two acquaintances that I had. One of them I, I, was, I knew a little bit better than the other. But uh, two acquaintances that really helped mold me in my early days as a preacher. And that would be W.A. Criswell and Robert G. Lee. Both of them, both of them said almost identically the same thing that affected me deeply. Here it is. Give your mornings to God. Give your mornings to God. Chriswell was so intent on it that when he would get up in the morning, he said, I would not waste time shaving or even getting out of my pajamas. I immediately went into the study and in prayer. And both Lee and Chriswell would never come out even for visits unless, it, of course, it would be a hospital call early in the morning for surgery. I would not even get out of my study before noon. Never, never. Give your mornings to God. Hardworking men. By the way, uh, I'm going to probably touch on this later, but let me go ahead and show you this right here in Acts chapter 6. Look at Acts chapter 6. You know why deacons were given, don't you? All right? Actually, in, in case you don't, or those of you that do know, it doesn't hurt to be reminded. The ladies 
needed some attention. The widow ladies needed some attention. There are some tables that needed to be waited upon. And the men of the word were getting preoccupied with the business of carrying on a lot of the daily grind of taking care of those that needed being taken care of. But then it says in verse number 4 of Acts chapter 6, but we will give ourselves continually. Now this is interesting. You know what continually means in Greek? It means continually. You know what the deep theological underlying message is? Continually, okay? Continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Wow. Two things there that we all always keep in mind. This is the reason God gave us deacons, so that we can give ourselves continually to the ministry of the word and prayer. You don't have to wonder when you hear someone preach if they've studied. It's pretty apparent. You can't hide that thing. And if you pastor people that have any cognitive ability, it really shows. We ought to be able to pre, we ought to be able to be so full of our subject and so full of our study that when we come to the end of our sermon, uh, we ought to be able to say, boy, I had more to say unless, and I've had those days like Monty was talking about where I felt like saying, let's stop and go home. But I didn't do that. I made the people suffer with me. Amen. <laughs> Well, anyway, I got some stories on that, but I, I, it's too painful to go into, okay? <laughs> it's, it's a shame when, when your people are done before you are. Amen. <laughs> so here's what we see. God intends for us to be people of hard work. Um, for, for instance, if, if you have your Bibles, I, I know you know this already, but look at 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. One of the tempting things when I'm preaching the servants of the Lord like yourself is I say, well, these know these, they know these passages of Scripture by heart. I don't even need to read this with them. But, but that's not true because sometimes when we look at it ourselves, it does help us a little bit more. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says in verse number 11, and that ye study to be quiet. Isn't that amazing? You have, to, you have to study to be quiet. You know, there's great virtue and not commenting about everything. Anyway, and that you study to be quiet and do your own business. Mind your own business. You know what? I love to be with preachers when we gravitate toward the Word of God immediately. It just really irritates me to be with preachers and it gravitates toward gossip. Like, who are you with? Who are you with? Did you hear about? Okay. Do your own business. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you, here's the result of working hard, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without. Wow. A person that works hard has an honest reputation, and a good name is to be chosen more than riches. Honestly toward them that are without. Watch this. And that you may have lack of nothing. You know, if you're having sometimes a hard time having ends met and there's a financial problem, I think anybody would understand this. The people in the secular world understand that God blesses hard work. God blesses hard work. You know, I think that sometimes we, need, we, have a, we make a mistake in believing that work is a curse. It is true that man must live by the sweat of his face. That's what the Bible says in Genesis. We often misquote that. We must live by the sweat of our brow. No, the sweat of your face. Really get into it. But did you know, according to the Word of God, in Genesis 2.15, before the fall came, God assigned Adam to dress and to keep the garden. 
See, work is not a curse. Work can be a blessing. And where we're doing what God commands us to do for those of us that are in the work of the Lord, isn't this a great thing that God has placed us to be partners with Him? Wow. So let us work hard. Do you know one reason the greatest generation was called the greatest generation? We're talking about the people that came up out of the depression and were in World War II like my parents and my uncles were. You know what made, one thing that really made them great? Hard work. In depression, when they could not find a job, they would pick apples and sell them on the streets. They would do janitorial work. Nothing was beneath them. I think about my uncle who was a very prosperous man who didn't go beyond the sixth grade of his education. When I worked with him in one of the bakeries that he started, uh, he got me up at two in the morning working like crazy. It's vain to rise up early and to sit up late, so he made me go to bed early. Amen. I like what Tom Malone said when he was a teenager. He wanted to go wild, but his grandfather was his employer. He would work him into the night after getting him up before daylight. And he'd say to me, son, the night is yours. He said, only thing I wanted to do was not go paint the town, but go to bed. Amen. All right. So here's what we need to do. Realize that God blesses hard work. We see that this is the heart of the shepherd. He gets somebody to take care of his sheep. He gets up early to obey his father. He doesn't rebel against the work. And if you think that church work is easy, you're in the wrong business. Do us all a favor and get an honest job somewhere. We're not nine to five folks. I mean, when somebody is sick and it's two in the morning, you don't just say, well, tough. I'll get the deacon to come pray with you. Uh, They want the shepherd to come pray with them. They know the deacons don't know how to pray. But anyway, (laughs) the willingness to work hard is the heart of the shepherd. That's not true. I got some praying deacons. Amen. Number two, number two, there is a requirement of the shepherd to feed the sheep. Well, we can see this very clearly, can't we? In, in Psalm 22 and 2 and 5, we see that David is talking about the shepherd leading the good shepherd to the green pastures. He's talking about the shepherd having a table, and I love this, in the presence of enemies. So the Lord who is our shepherd gives us a table in the presence of our enemies. There's never any circumstance that the church places us through that means that we curtail our responsibilities in feeding. We went through a great crisis at the year 2000. We did some mission work. Let me retranslate for you. That's called the church split. We lost 250 attending members. The offerings dropped $10,000 a month. You say, what happened? We had a staff infection. But anyway, uh, okay, boy, that's really a private joke there, isn't it? Okay. Uh, And it can happen to anybody. You know, some of our most faithful people said this to me some months after this all took place, and I just praise the Lord for this. They said, Pastor, we've noticed something. You never once took that to the pulpit. And I didn't. The pulpit was not a place for me to decapitate the people that did me wrong. That was a place for me to turn the other cheek and to keep on ministering and feeding the flock. It's the craziest thing. Isn't it weird how many times mean people will leave you and you will beat the people up that stayed? Don't do that. 
Man, they stayed. They need feeding. Feed the flock of God. Isn't this what the Word of God says? To feed the flock of God. The sheep are, are, are needing and deserving some, some nourishment. Amen and amen. Don't, don't ever hold back from feeding them. Amen. If you have your Bibles, look at um, 1 Samuel 17, verse number 28. I love this. 1 Samuel 17, verse number 28. He said, uh, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Boy, is this not the voice of sarcasm? Look at you, David. What kind of shepherd are you? Not only are you a crummy shepherd and that you're here, but, but you, you, don't even, you don't even shepherd that many. You just have a few of them. Who do you think you are to come down here? The truth of the matter is, David did not leave the flock unattended. He had somebody watch over his flock while he came there. Don't let people get sarcastic and drive you from your job of taking care of the sheep. There will always be people who say, you're not feeding them correctly. Some will say to you, Pastor, you're not feeding me correctly. You keep giving us the same message again and again and again. What I've said to those people that make those statements is, if I did not eat my green beans for lunch, I saw them for supper. If I didn't eat them for supper, I could see them for breakfast. If I'd eat them for breakfast, I saw them for lunch. Finally, by supper the next day, I'm eating green beans that are now stale because I know if I don't get rid of them, I'm going to see them again. My advice to the church members who complain about the pastors repeating the same thing is eat. You are to feed the sheep. Do never be put off by sarcasm or, crit- or sarcasm or criticism by saying, why are you giving us the same thing? You obey the Lord. Get your nose in the book. And by the way, if you do what the Bible says, give you co- yourself continually prayer and the study of the Word of God, you'll get in the pulpit with a holy boldness, not a holy coldness. And, you're not gonna, and the devil would love for you to change the subject if you're coming down somebody's pike that they live on. Feed the sheep. So, by the way, you're the shepherd, not them. The shepherd doesn't go to the sheep and say, Hey, sheep, where are you going to go today? I don't know, shepherd. Well, I don't know either. Okay, let's go this way. The sheep will have us off the cliff. The sheep are not the shepherd. You're the shepherd. Lead the sheep. Okay, so feed the sheep, lead the sheep. That wasn't exactly in the outline, but, um, but it fits. This is important. We need to realize that the sheep are God's flock. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 2. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 2. And by the way, that's what David did realize. Um, if I could just go back a little bit before I show you 1 Peter 5. David said, um, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that she, he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David understood that these people were led primarily by God. Goliath is a tall giant, but he's not bigger than God. These people belong to the living God. They worship false gods, gods of metal, of ore, of wood. We serve a living God, and he is the shepherd. Who are we? We are the under-shepherd. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and verse number 2, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. He said, 
Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but in samples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear. You know what God defined us as? The under-shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. We're not lords over God's heritage, but the Lord is the shepherd of the flock. He said in the book of Acts, Acts 20 and 28. Well, again, I want to quote part of it, but let me read it to you. Acts 20 and 28. This is so good. The sooner we realize this, the better. Acts 20 and 28. Hear the word of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over to which the Holy Ghost hath made the overseers to feed the church of God, here it is, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So the flock that we're leading has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. So we need to understand that a shepherd knows who the chief shepherd is. The shepherd knows that he or she, they're under-shepherding those that belong to God. This is interesting. In John chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 10. You remember what Paul said to Timothy. He said to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Many times we divide up the spirit giftings in the church thinking, well, you're a good soul winner and so you've got the spirit of evangelism, so you are an evangelist and and you have the ministry of helps and, and then you have the... Right? And you have the ministry of ministration. And wait, wait a minute. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. Here's something that all of us need to be, especially shepherds. We must be soul conscious. Now, that's a term that I used to hear Dr. Rice often use. I used to hear a lot of preachers use that. It's a term that I don't hear as much as I used to. Soul conscience. He that winneth souls is wise. By the way, the opposite is true. If you don't win souls, you're not very wise, right? So we need to understand, even if we are not as gifted as other people, to close the deal. And, and I'll be honest with you, I know that there's other people that are a little bit more gifted. It, please forgive me for using that illustration, but for lack of better illustration, there are just some people that can just get a profession of faith a little bit more often than others. I mean, some of them are just driven like that. So what is our duty as shepherds? Number one, we are to be soul winners to lead by example, right? Why don't our people win more souls? How many have you been winning? How many do you witness to, you know? The great commission is given to everybody. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. But there is a sense that the shepherd is to make sure that this takes place on a continual basis. He's never for us just huddling by ourselves saying, just us four and no more. We're just deeper life Christians. We're not evangelists. There never should be a dichotomy. Notice what it says in John chapter 10, verse number 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they shall hear my voice and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Did you hear what Jesus said? He said, I'm the good shepherd, but I'm always on the lookout for other sheep. I'm always looking for other sheep. Ephesians 4.16 says that the gifts, things of the Holy Spirit are given to make increase of the body. Increase of the body. That's found in Ephesians 4.16, and that's we, where we are to be. Amen and amen. Um, 
Isaiah 40. Look at Isaiah 40. This is an interesting verse. Isaiah 40. Look at this, please. Isaiah 40. We're talking about the heart of the shepherd. Here it is. Isaiah 40, verse number 11. Now, that's speaking of the Lord. You see, by the way, the Lord himself refers to himself as a shepherd. That's who David was referring to in Psalm 23, which also identified himself. Isaiah 40 and verse number 11, He, God, shall feed his flock like a shepherd. Notice this. He feeds the flock. Here's what else he does. He shall gather the lambs with his arms. So what is he in the business of? Not only winning, but also discipling. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in grace. Grow in grace. He's, He's holding the lambs in his arms. He is so concerned, he'll leave the 99 and go after that one lost lamb, won't he? Now watch this. And carry them in his bosom. Look, this is, so per- this is so beautiful. And shall gently lead those that are with young. Isn't that beautiful? The shepherd gently leads those that are with young. He comes to the female sheep and he gently leads her because she's carrying the future of the flock. So a pastor or a youth pastor or an associate pastor or an assistant pastor should be on the lookout for those that are winning the loss to Christ and gently lead them and encourage them and help them. There's only one type of sheep that you should not even try to lead and that's one that's really not a sheep. Matthew tells us very quickly in 7 and verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but... But what? Inwardly they are ravening wolves. Remember what David did? He came after the lion and the bear. And he personally took on the lion and the bear. Anybody that's after the sheep that are not sheep must be dealt with. I talked to a man who had made the better part of his life study on wolves. Boy, he gave us some great insight. He said there's always the alpha wolf who's leading in a rebellion. He said the most dangerous alpha wolf is the female alpha wolf that cloaks her leadership. She rules from the den. I thought, I pastored her once. But anyway, (laughs) this expert on wolves said, if there is a sheep-killing wolf, there is only one thing to do with a wolf. Shoot it. Oh, Brother Pope, I don't want to be mean. No, 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 no. Think of the flock. I remember dealing with a preacher that was in sin, and I mean undoubtedly in sin, and I was approached. You've got to, you've got to leave him alone. Got to leave this thing alone. Got to leave this thing alone because... Um, You're going to ruin his ministry. I said, look at the lambs that he slaughtered. And we're not, no, 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 we're not. We're we're dealing with a wolf here. Boom! That that one thing woke some of you up, okay. (laughs) There's, I don't have time to go into detail. Let me just tell you this in closing. How do you spot a wolf? Let Let me just share this with you real quickly. Remember Acts 17, 21? The people, the Athenians, We're always trying to learn some new thing. 
You know what? One, now, if you remember, it, when Paul went to a place that was usually a church planted, was there a church planted at Athens? Not, that, not by Paul. Not by Paul that we, know, that we know of, okay? But that was the one place where there were a lot of philosophical people. It was filled with people that were trying to always learn a new thing. 2 Peter 1, I'm going to close with this real quickly. 2 Peter 1, I want you to hear the word of God. 2 Peter 1, verse number, oh, this is important. Verse number 20, knowing this, that no prophecy of the scripture, look at this, is of any private interpretation. One of the earmarks of a wolf is that he will come into the flock or she will come into the flock and they will be teaching things that no one has ever heard of. A doctrine. Now, that's not the same as giving you insight on something that you never thought about. Like if we're looking at this together and you say, oh, I can see that. Yeah, I see that. Or you might say, why didn't I ever see that before? That's because... You ever notice how evangelical Bible believers can take the Bible and end up believing the same thing? You ever notice that? Because why? The scripture is no private interpretation. All cults came out of some private interpreter. All cults came out of a wolf that was never a sheep. Always. And you know, let me just share this with you. Can I give you the word in Greek for private? Idios. You caught it, didn't you? Same word for idiot. It means a person that is so self-centered. That's a wolf. He doesn't care about the sheep. He's wrapped up in himself. He believes that he's got all of the answers of any private interpretation unloosing. He said, God's word says, the scripture is not of any private interpretation. If somebody's teaching you something that's never been taught before, it's because it's never been taught before. It's never been taught before because it's not there. And if you add to the scripture, the plagues of revelation can be added to you, right? So when that happens, just shoot them. But people will think, remember what Jesus did. By the way, by the way, by the way, we're not talking about getting a physical gun. We're not talking about getting the pulpit and, and calling them by name and acting like a tough guy. You're not a cowboy. You're a shepherd. You're not driving the herd. You're leading the sheep, right? So you know what your weapon is? The only weapon that we are given that's offensive. What is it? The word of God. Would it be like Jesus? People say, well, remember, Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple, had a whip in his hand. Did he hit anybody with it? Never did. You know he never hit anybody with a whip. But you know what he said? My house should be called the house of prayer. You know what was driving them out of the temple? The word of God. You teachers that are pastors, get your nose in the book, get your knees in prayer, keep out a lookout for the sheep, And when the wolf comes in, boom, with the word of God. It works every time. You've been listening to a message from the Pensacola Christian College Enrichment Retreat. You're welcome to pass this message along to others, but we ask that you do not charge for it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. If you're a pastor or ministry leader, join us for the next Enrichment Retreat and experience a time of physical rest and spiritual refreshment. To learn more, visit enrichmentretreat.com.